Last week, we talked about how the gospel um, can be applied to anxiety, um, which is obviously we want to talk about how the gospel applies to a lot of things. So we want to do that with anxiety as well. And we ended with a tool that we call the fruit to root exercise. We use it, I've used it for years here. We, my, my wife and I use it in our counseling, our marriage counseling. It's a great tool. We walk through that at the end of our service. That's now up on um, our blog, that actual tool. So you can look, and there's a, there's a link there that will take you through that yourself if you missed that. Today, we're going to talk about how our habits relate to anxiety. These things we do every day, these things we, we do with often without thinking, that's why they're called habits, and how they relate to us handling anxiety well, or that they push us into a negative way of handling anxiety if we have poor habits in our day in and day out lives. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in um, to uh, um, our sermon today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you when we come to a topic that is complicated, that is, um, has a lot of baggage with it. It's um, oftentimes hard to understand this thing called anxiety. And, and I'm thankful for your word that all throughout your word, you speak about this. You speak about your peace. You speak about your love. You speak about how uh, you've given us the resources to be able to fight and address anxiety, and we're thankful for that. And so I ask today that you would allow ourselves to uh, humbly put ourselves under your word and allow it to, to change us, that it would change the way we think, that it would change how we feel, that it would change how we live when we leave this place. And most of all, I pray that everything we do would honor and glorify your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Jenna and Benjamin Story um, wrote an article on the website First Things about two years ago. So this is still a very relevant uh, kind of fresh article. And they said this about kind of the state of our country right now. Americans are struggling to hold things together. Single moms who must respond to teachers' messages about their children's behavior and fix glitches in the afternoon's babysitting plans while concealing their distraction from the manager one cubicle over. Strung out truck drivers with back problems, sleeping aid problems, and creditor problems. Pampered yet harried college students whose days are crowded with clubs and amusements and protests and classes constantly on the move in no particular direction. Hyper-scheduled professional couples with hyper-scheduled children schlepping and stressing and rearranging the calendar in an impossible effort to prioritize everyone and everything equally. Pulled in dozen, a dozen different directions, we were unable to subject our days to any clear purpose. We move through time reactively, dispersing the self as we go. And just hearing these things, I know when I read it the first time that you probably, I probably get some amens. Like, I, I, I can see myself in that story. I can see myself in this life that we call, um, call as Americans, right, the way we live. Even looking at this list of things maybe brings anxiety, maybe even more anxiety than you have now. See, anxiety can create this kind of life that they described but also, this kind of life can create anxiety. And I know we have 
young people in the room here, some kids still in the room. So throughout the, the sermon today, I'm going to stop and address you, and this is one of those times. So uh, kids, young people, I'm sure you've struggled, if you think back just to the last three years of COVID, how it's hard to predict the future, hard to understand what's going to go on the next day because things are so uncertain. Maybe you struggle to compare yourself to others at school and your friends. Maybe you compare the way you look to them. Maybe you compare what the things you have, the clothes you wear to them, and it becomes difficult. And there's other scary things out there that you're facing at school, and you're in this same boat. So it's not just adults in this room that we're talking, it's also kids. It's all of us are experiencing this kind of life. Not, now, I want to say this before we move further, especially coming out of last week where I shared my story um, and how I fought anxiety. Um, I want to say that not everyone in this room, not even the majority of us in this room, will ever need counseling or therapy or medicine for anxiety. And I want to just lay that out there. Obviously, those things are options. Those things are available. I think those are good options. But we should, for the, for the overwhelming majority of us, we shouldn't start with those things. We should start with the things God's already given us, like his word, his community, friendships, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, once you get to the level of having a a clinical disorder, yes, we need to move on to those things maybe quicker. But for the overwhelming majority of us, I don't want us to panic if we start to feel anxiety and immediately think, well, I've got a, a, a disorder and I need to run to those things. Let's just take our time and kind of address things as we go. And I think today... It's going to really help all of us because we're dealing in the mundane. We're dealing in the everyday when we talk about habits. If you, if you step back with a wide-angle lens and just observed your life and even go back um, in history a little bit of your life, um, we'll see that who we are, like our character, our person, is largely um, defined and formed by the things we do or our habits. Another way to say this is uh, what we are is a collection of our habits in totality over a long period of time. Our habits change us. They form us. For those of us who are followers of Jesus in this room, when we are saved, we are given a new identity as sons and daughters of God. That is given to us. That's called justification, right? But we also have something theologians call progressive sanctification, where after justification, we begin this process of growing, where Christ is formed more in us. We, we want to look more like Jesus as time goes on. That happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, but, it's, but it also happens through our effort. Right? The scriptures tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So part of us growing up into Christ, growing up into our, our identity, is paying attention to our habits, paying attention to our thought process, paying attention to what we do on a daily basis. And that's where uh, we're going to focus today as we uh, talk about um, anxiety again. Let's look at Luke 10, that passage that Danielle read. And I chose this passage because I, I think we can see ourselves in this story. So I'm going to read this again, and we'll talk about a few things that Luke says in his gospel here. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, 
you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Interesting passage here, because we can see ourselves in this story. I think if we were honest, we, we are the Martha, at least sometimes, maybe a lot of the times. Martha gets a bad rap here, but notice that she's not, she's not distracted by bad things. It says she was distracted with much serving. Something that we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Something we stand up here and, and ask you all to do. Serve the church. Serve your family. Serve your friends. Right. This is something we're called to do. So we shouldn't uh, immediately um, kind of look too uh, down upon Martha because we've been there with her, right? How oftentimes you have somebody coming over to your house, you're about to meet somebody, and you're just frantic with activity. You're frantic with getting things cleaned up. You're frantic trying to make food. You're frantic trying to clean up. Whatever it is, you're frantic trying to find the clothes to wear because you're going to meet somebody important, right? Like we fall into the same distractions. Not all these things are bad. But Jesus calls her out on it. He says in verse 41, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Right? So uh, evidently, like this was something, uh, maybe a deeper issue than just her trying to get her house cleaned and picked up. Maybe Jesus knew her well enough to know that, hey, this is kind of a pattern for her. This is a habit of getting kind of it, get, getting caught up in this whirlwind of activity and being stressed out. Uh, but when somebody is coming, maybe into her home or other environments. The other thing I want us to notice about this passage is this word "anxious" that Jesus uses in forty-one. When he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, that's the same exact word that Paul used in the passage we looked at last week. Philippians 4, verse 6, when he says, do not be anxious about anything. That's the same exact word that is used. And this word literally means divided into parts or to go to pieces. It's something that is getting kind of pulled apart from the inside. It's like fragmenting, right? And so... When you, when you hear that and when you see what the biblical writers are trying to get underneath here, I think it gives us some imagery to attach to anxiety. It's the pulling apart. We're, we're divided into so many things in our day and age. This fragmentation can lead to anxiety, and being anxious can lead to fragmentation. And it can become a vicious cycle. I, I'm not a computer guy, but... I don't know how long ago it was, but I remember the day that we had computers and um, computers that when, when they got old or they got slowed down, one of the things that was always recommended was defragging, right? You pulled up the little tool, the, the defragger, and you hit it, and it, it took, again, I, I'm, this is just my definition of it, right? I'm sure, I'm sure you all can help me with this, but basically taking pieces of data and put them into better categories so the computer can run quicker and run more efficient. It was called defragging. It was taking things that were scattered in a computer and putting them together so things could work more efficiently on your computer. It's kind of the, the, the opposite of this definition of anxiety, you could say, is wholeness or a single-mindedness, right? It's the opposite of being fragmented. There's a wholeness to something. There's, there's something that's not divided. There's, there's a single-mindedness to this. Kids, this is, right, the beginning of school, the school year. I'm sure when you walked into your new schools or new classrooms or started new kind of textbooks for the year, there was a little bit of worry. There was a little bit of fear, right? Maybe you walked into a school and you needed to find a new class or you, you couldn't remember your teacher's name and you had all these new f faces in your classroom. 
So you began to get a little bit anxious and you become a little bit kind of distracted and divided on the inside. And if I was just to ask you, hey, what did you learn today? What do you remember from your first day of school? You would probably not be able to tell me because you were distracted from what you, you, from what you probably wanted to be there, maybe wanted to learn because there was so much else going on. Your attention was divided into so many areas. So here, this brings us to the question today that we're going to try to answer. How do we create a foundation in our lives in a, in a day in and day out way that's going to withstand kind of the onslaught of anxiety? Like when we face anxiety, how do we need to prepare ourselves in the day in and day out stuff of life to be able to withstand the anxiety that will almost certainly come for all of us at some point to some degree? I want to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and if you don't know Romans, Paul has just finished in the first 11 chapters of Romans this massive theological treatise of of all things theology. He wraps it up in 11 chapters, and then he moves on to chapter 12 here. And for the rest of the book, it's kind of the practical outworkings of kind of doctrine and theology. So he begins this section, this kind of hard right turn with these two verses. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what, the, what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. There's two things here I want to focus on. Verse 1, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's all of us. All of who we are, we bring to the table. We bring to God and ask him to change me. I'm yours. In a sense, you own me. I, I am yours, and, 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 and you can do with me whatever you want me to do. That's presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. He says, which is, our spiritual, which is spiritual worship. It's our act of worship, and we present ourselves in that way to God. Right? That's all of us. Right? And then he also says, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like when we present all of ourselves to God, that leads to transformation. That's how we're changed. That's how we look more like Jesus, our sanctification. And we talked last week about all of us as human beings are made up of body and soul, the material and the immaterial. All human beings are, right? That's, a, that's, that's all of us. So when we're wanting to change in this particular area of anxiety, it's, it's helpful to understand more about how God has made us, how God has wired us, especially our minds, especially our brains. And one of, the, one of the areas to really focus on when it comes to habits is this area of neuroscience. In the area of neuroscience, one of the, one of the, the, the words or ideas that is uh, really, really important is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity means that our, our brain has the ability to lay down new grooves or new pathways through the things we do. So every action we take establishes another neural pathway. Think of it like this. Imagine a, a grassy field, and you drive over, drive, take a, a big truck and drive through that field. The first time you drive, the grass is going to lay down. It's going to pop up pretty quick. You drive 10 more times on that same pathway, the grass is going to stay down. You drive many, many more times on that, the grass is going to start to die. You keep driving on it, it's going to turn to dirt. And then when it gets wet, it's going to turn to mud, and you keep driving on it. And now you've got 
deeper and deeper and deeper. Now you have ruts. Right? And this is the same way these grooves form in our brain. Every time we have an action, this, this pathway forms. And if we continue that action over and over and over, that pathway gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then it becomes harder to kind of get out of that, just like a rut when you're driving your tires on, right? It's hard to pop out of that rut when it's deep enough. Now, as we're establishing those new pathways in our brain, some of those can be really good. These are the good habits. We want those. We want as many positive pathways or habits as possible, and we don't want the negative pathways. We don't want those triggers. We don't want those things, okay? And so that is how God has designed our minds to work, our brains. And we're learning more and more from neuroscience about this. And this is super helpful when it comes to thinking about habits and anxiety. Listen to J.P. Morgan, Moreland, in his book, Finding Quiet. It's a great book on anxiety. I highly recommend it. Um, I, I, after the sermon last week, I put on the blog resources and some links to books and stuff like that, that that I found very helpful. And this is out of his book, Finding Quiet. He says this, neuroplasticity refers to the brain's ability to form new brain grooves, i.e. new patterns of synaptic connections, and undergo a change of structure. The brain is not stuck in a static, unchanging structure. In fact, through repeated habit-forming practices of different ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving, one can reshape one's brain in a healthy direction. But this reshaping requires three things. Practice, practice, practice. Practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. Through repeated practice, a new set of grooves becomes a relatively permanent um, unless one treats into old bad habits. And this is especially true of anxiety. So now we have these practices, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. I want to go back to last week's passage, Philippians 4, and, and read this again and talk through and really highlight three things that I think Paul helps us with when we talk about establishing new habits. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We all want that. All of us in this room want to be rejoicing people. We want to be happy. We want to be full of joy. Now, we all we maybe find that in different ways, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, but I would contend that that is the aim of every human heart, is to be happy, to have joy. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to, God, to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes, when we first are trying to attack anxiety or address it, usually what we tell ourselves, and maybe what you've heard from others, is stop doing something. You often hear like kind of the negative. Stop doing this or stop doing this. That's damaging, so stop doing it. Or we try, and, and that's important. There, there's things when we're coming up with a strategy for anxiety that we need to stop. But it's interesting that Paul here um, kind of talks about adding something. He talks about uh, pot, something positive. Um, listen, in, in verse 8, he continues on. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's an imperative. That's a command. Think about these things. Do it. If Paul was here, he would say, come on, think about these things. Focus on these things. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice those things. And the peace of God will be with you. 
So the first thing I want to highlight there in verse 8 is thinking. This verb thinking. This is the imperative. He's telling us to think. Well, what does that look like? Well, it means just dwelling on who God is. Thinking deeply on something. And here he's focused on God. But but first, before we get into kind of the positive, what he wants us to think about, I think it's important for us to talk about the negative. Because then again, in anxiety, there's, there's things that force us to, that, that cause us to think in certain patterns. We get in these grooves and these ruts in our thinking that, ca- that kind of push us into an anxious state. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and make every thought captive to obey Christ. So as we're thinking, as we're trying to think about the things of God and focus on that, we also need to be aware of what's going to be pushing against those things. What are the negative things that are creating grooves and these kind of ruts in our mind in a negative way? And part of why anxiety has such an effect on us is because we don't respond well to it. Last week we talked about um, the way God has, has, has made us and hardwired us is to respond in a very abrupt physiological way to danger. To danger that is evident. It's right there. Uh, we talked about last week the example of a bear. Right? When you come ac- if you're hiking in uh, a spot in the, in, the, in the world where there's bears and you come across a bear, like, you are going to have a physiological response. You're not even going to have to think about it probably. Right? It's going to happen. It's the fight, flight, or freeze response that all of us will have. This can also happen when our kid gets injured. That moment when you know you see it and you know this, this is bad. You feel it. Like, you don't have to think about it. It's an auto response to something that's happened. And it's real. It's out there. For students in here, the kids, right, your teacher gives you a pop quiz. I, I remember that feeling. It's like, oh, no. Like, I, like you didn't tell me about this. And, and they're like, yeah, I didn't tell you about this. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to know the information. But that feeling we get, that fight or flight response in that moment and that, that sinking feeling in your stomach when you realize you're not ready for this quiz they laid out. That's, these are good things. It's a, it's a way that God has designed our bodies to, to escape danger and to survive. What's bad is when those things happen when we're in a state of anxiety. Because our minds, in anxiety, our minds are making up threats that may not actually be a threat. When there is no danger there, our minds want to create danger. Maybe there's a tiny percentage of danger. The, the, the example I used last week of, yeah, if we're in Colorado or Montana, there, there, of course there's bears out there somewhere. But if you're so afraid to walk out your door because you know, you just know there's going to be a bear out there. So you choose to spend a whole week and never go outside, right? That's your anxiety that's treating it like a real threat. So you're having all the physical responses, but there's really not a threat outside the door at that moment. But our body reacts that way. That's why it's terrible for our bodies to remain in that anxious state because we're going on this fight or flight response over and over and over and our bodies can't take it. They weren't meant to take it. Curtis Chang, in his book called um, 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 The Anxiety, gosh, the name escapes me. It's, it's, the link is on uh, the website. But Curtis Chang, in his book on anxiety, um, has two categories of how we avoid anxiety. And last week, one of the ways we defined anxiety was the fear of losing something. It's another way to define it, like the fear of losing something. So when we think we're going to lose something, we don't, we don't like that, so we try to avoid it. And in his, in his mind, there's, there's kind of two categories people fall into. And you can kind of straddle these categories. But I think um, we'll lean towards one or the other. So you can go ahead and put this kind of chart on the screen, this list of two. Um, so at the, at the top there, these are, he calls them avoidance habits. So the flight habits, when you're trying to flight, you're trying to flee anxiety. 
um, you're, pr- you're probably going to be the type of person that's going to avoid certain conversations. You're going to avoid having hard conversations because knowing talking to that person may bring up anxiety or make the anxiety worse. So you're going to flee. Endless social media scrolling, workaholism or compulsive busyness, addiction to escapist substances like alcohol or drugs or pornography. So you're saying, I feel this anxiety, I don't know what to do about it, so I'm going to escape it. I'm going to get away with it. With These are just examples of some of the things, right? And, and that's going to cause us to, to not get over the anxiety. It's actually going to make it worse. Chang in his book compares it to like one of those old Incrediballs that you throw and bounce it. Like, it's like anxiety is the ball and you throw it against the wall and it comes back and it hits you in the head. Like these things don't work. Like oh, look at that list. Like those things are only going to make the anxiety worse because they're not really dealing with the issue. Now on the other side, you have the fight habits, the fight habits. And I wish these were on the same page. There we go. Uh, so first thing is like rumination. I, I talked about in my, sto- my story last week. This is what I struggle with sometimes in bed. Like I'm just like, my mind starts racing and it goes from, well, what if this happens? And then that means this will happen. And that means this will happen. That means this will happen. And that thing that I've talked about is so far out of the realm of reality. But I've gone there in like five seconds. And now my body's reacting. My heart rate's up. I wanna, I'm in that fight or flight response. And so in that situation, I'm trying to deal with my anxiety. I'm trying to fight my anxiety, um, but I'm doing it in a really unhealthy way. You see OCD tendencies. Some of you go to like trying to be super organized and not letting anything get in the way of your schedule and not letting anything unpredictable happen because you're so anxious. So you go into this kind of like you want to kind of control everything to kind of get that anxiety to go away. Some of you cross social boundaries. Um, Trying too hard in relationships, becoming clingy, because you're looking at another person to like be your savior in that anxiety or inability to let things go or being argumentative. Like, of course, if your anxiety, the thing you're reaching for is to be right, to know something is certain. So, of course, you're going to fight. Of course, you're going to make little things bigger deals because you're trying to find something to grab onto. That's the negative. It's just helpful to, again, capture our thoughts, realizing. What, who are you? How do you fit into these parts? Like, what's your tendency when it comes to thinking in these ways? What are your unhealthy grooves or ruts that you have in your current life? Let's go back to the text and look at the positive that Paul's laid out. He mentions, uh, I think, uh, seven things here. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Seven things that are found ultimately in God. They're ultimately found in God. All those things find their perfection in God. So he says, think about these things. When you're feeling anxiety, don't go down one of these fight or flight roles. Stop, come to God, and and allow your mind to be trained, practice thinking about God when you're actually wanting to think about these other things. Again, the opposite of anxiety, according to these texts, is single-mindedness, a wholeness. And the way we become single-minded is to focus on one thing, and that one thing is God. One of the things we talk a lot about around here is preach the gospel to yourself. Don't listen to your heart, right? Your heart will lead you in all sorts of different directions. Tell your heart what to believe. Tell your heart the truth. Tell your heart the gospel and allow your heart to follow the truth. Follow what's true and right and good and from God rather than all this other kind of Weird lies and half-truths that gets in the way when we start thinking about our anxiety. Doomsday scenarios, awful things happening. And so, wait, is that true? What's true? And then going to the gospel. 
And I love Paul in this book on Philippians, just a chapter before. Again, he's talking about, think about these things and gives us this list. But this whole letter, he's been talking about having joy in the gospel. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So what he's saying here is the gospel, the good news of the gospel, once again, is that Jesus lived a perfect life that none of us could live. And so when he goes to the cross and he is putting himself out as a sacrifice, he's actually taking our sin upon himself. He's taking our sin to the cross and suffering God's wrath for sin. And he's giving us, and this is why Paul says, having a righteousness um, of my own. Not having a righteousness of my own, because we can't be righteous enough to be in God's presence. So we need a righteousness from Jesus to be applied to us. So when we believe God, and we have faith in that God sees us, and he sees the righteousness of Christ, not our righteousness. And that's the good news, because we have no righteousness to offer that's good enough. There's nothing we can do in our behavior, in our thinking, and all of these things to really save ourselves. So the good news is Jesus did all of that for us, for sinful people like you and me who didn't deserve it. And that's the good news. And he continues on here. Um, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's how we obtain that righteousness, through our faith. That I may know him. Hear the relational undertones. I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings. Become a like him in his death. That by any means possible, I maintain, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's just preaching the gospel to himself there. So then when he drops when down in chapter 4, when he says, think about these things, what is lovely, just, pure, this is what he's thinking about. He's thinking about the character of God, the person and work of Jesus in these moments. So we need to think about those things. That's the first thing. These next two, I'll go quicker. Second, thanking. We need to be a thankful people. Look at verse 6. We're going to go back up into the text. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. What is being thankful, right? Think about it. What, what is being grateful? Being grateful is understanding that we've received something good. That good thing has come from outside of us. Oftentimes, we don't deserve that good thing, so we say, I'm thankful. It's taking the focus off ourselves and putting it on the person who gave us actually the gift. So we're thankful for that, right? The, the, the benefits of being thankful and being a, 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 a person of gratitude goes way beyond the church. I mean, even in the secular world, this is over and over, studies have shown that a person who's thankful, who remembers to be, to be grateful, um, is, 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 uh, is, is a person that's going to flourish at a greater degree than other people. Um, and I think that's the case because God has made us, he's hardwired us for thankfulness to be beneficial to us. That, that's God's doing. And there's verses all throughout the scripture that, that show this. And note, note at this, that he, the order of how Paul says this. He doesn't say, hey, ask for things, receive them, and then be thankful. No, our posture is one of thanksgiving. Even as we approach God and are making the request, we do that with a thankful heart, even before we receive. So thankfulness is a, is a posture. It's a choice. It's not primarily a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a posture to go about life in a certain way to be a thankful um, or person of gratitude. 
Now, this can also be turned into a practice. To tell you the truth, I mean, I, I'm, I lean a little bit this way. I can be a little pessimistic in certain environments. I can be negative. If you find yourself being a negative person or you lean towards pessimism, you probably need to build a habit of thankfulness into your, into your life. Because you have those, those grooves of negativity in your brain. They're really strong. So you react quickly, almost automatically, in a negative way, whether you can be a little bit more calm and react in a more thankful way. The way we do this is we can build a couple things that are mentioned in uh, Moreland's book. He says we can tell a God throughout the day how thankful we are. Set a timer on our phone or our watch. Every hour we can just spend five or ten seconds telling God how you're thankful to him. Just shifting our minds to thankfulness. Another thing we can do is keeping a gratitude journal. Just writing for a few minutes every day how we're thankful. Just write it down on a paper so we can see it. We can read it. We can th- Another thing we can do is thank people in your life for the things that they've done for you. Face-to-face, phone calls, texts, written notes. You can always thank someone for something. So just do it, right? Actually take the steps to do it. Make it a habit. And over time, the grooves of thankfulness will get stronger. And maybe the grooves of negativity or pessimism will get a little bit shallower. And you'll be able to move into the other um, healthy groove more. Um, kids, I'll, I'll say it to you guys, you can do this, right? You can, whenever you're feeling maybe angry or you're worried or you're fearful, the one thing you can do is go someplace quiet and just think about how thankful you are. You don't have to even go place someplace quiet. When you start thinking of something negative, think, what are all the things that God has given you? And turn to him and say, thank you for that. Take the focus off of you and the negativity and turn it back to God. The last thing that Paul instructs us to do um, in this passage is to practice. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So everything, right? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Other places, Paul says, follow me as I'm following Christ. And that's in sense what he's saying here. I'm trying to build my whole life around Jesus. I'm trying to build my whole life around Jesus. And as I do that, I want you to watch me and follow me and do the same thing and practice these things. Notice he didn't say do these things. He says practice them. Practice these things. Walk as I walk. If you want to experience the life of Jesus and you want to see him formed in you, and, and with the potential of being free of anxiety, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You have to start doing what he did. You have to start doing the habits that he did, and we can look to Paul to do that. One pastor at one point said, I've never forgotten, he said, you can tell how effective your apprenticeship or discipleship to Jesus is by how much your daily responses to life's circumstances look, how, look like how Jesus would respond. Just read the Gospels and look how Jesus responded to anxiety, to fear, to worry. Uh, one of the, my favorite things to do is to coach um, Little League sports. Um, I've, uh, I, one, my favorite thing is to coach Jax's probably baseball team. And one of the things teaching baseball um, is you have to teach kids how to hit a ball. And the baseball swing is really complicated. And so I don't start a six-year-old teaching them how to swing a bat and hit a ball that's coming at them by sitting there, hey, watch some of these videos, read some of these books, and I'm going to throw you out there in a game and expect you to hit. No, we, we, we practice. We come in. We break down the swing, all the different components, try to build these habits with different parts of their body into, into their, their life and their structure, and then, then they can go out in the game, and hopefully it becomes automatic. Like the grooves and how they move their body to swing a baseball bat in their brain and their body, those things are set so those habits have taken hold there. It, kids, whatever activities you're in, you can think about this, right? You have to practice. Anything you want to be good at, anything you want to perform in, you have to practice. You can't just watch a video and read a book and then show up 
in a play that you're in on the day of and, and, and perform well in the play. No, you have to rehearse and rehearse. You have to have a director that's showing you where to move and showing you where to, how to sing and how to say your lines. Those things take time and they take practice. So we have to be about these spiritual practices. And all these things are a means to an end. They're an invitation in a way we experience deep life and enjoyment in God. It's the way that we experience God's love and grace on an ongoing way. They don't save us, but they do require effort. Okay? These things like Bible reading, prayer, fasting, silence and solitude. Even as a corporate, we have habits that we do every week. We take communion. We sing songs. We do confession assurance every week. Right? We have liturgy. Every week we're doing these habits that are forming us as a church. Right? We do this corporately, and we want to do those individually as well. The last thing I want to kind of leave you with is a, a tool, like I did last week, something called contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer. Um, contemplation, the definition of that is just the action of looking thoughtfully at something for a long time. It's deep, reflective thought. So it's just prayer where we're thinking and reflecting on the person um, of God and his character. There are two purposes most people will define and that come along with contemplative prayer. Um, Connect the connection with God and the transformation of us. Connection with God and the transformation of us. Um, anxiety happens at a deep level. It's complex, so we have to actually fight it at a deep level, which is why this practice is really important. Um, I'm going to run through these really quick. I'll, um, I'll post this online um, this week for you to kind of see. the. There's really four steps here. Uh, one, find a quiet place from, free from distraction. Right? Set a timer. Start really small. Right? Find a place to go. And to, to, to just and you can work up to that. Number two, you've got to pick a verse or, or something from the scriptures that encourages you, inspire, inspires you, or comforts you. One example could be John 14, 27. Jesus says this to his closest followers. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So we want to find something that we can attach our attention to. right? We can think about. It's going to be hard. It's going to be distracting. So we need the scriptures. We need the truth to think about, to meditate on, to be able to, um, to think on. And like, images may pop in your mind. You may ima imagine Jesus standing there with you, saying these things to you. This is part of that reflection. This is part of that, that focus. It's being single-minded. Right? It sounds like meditation. It is meditation. It's Christian meditation. Most forms of meditation are, is just a process of emptying. Christian med meditation is emptying, but it's also filling with the truth, filling with the scriptures. So why we want to attach our minds to scripture, something to be able to take us into that time. So find an, find an environment, find scripture to, to repeat or to be thinking about. Third, humble yourself, right? Maybe repeat things like, have mercy on me a sinner, or I'm broken and need of your grace. Like, come to him empty-handed. You focused on God, now you're focusing on yourself. I have nothing to offer. Right? And you're thinking about that. You're, you're in the posture of receiving. And the last thing is really, the last step is really where we're aiming at. It's just being able to sit with him, being his presence. Remembering that if you're a follower of Jesus, his spirit's inside of you. What is his spirit telling you? What is his spirit saying to you? How does that affect what you're anxious about right now? Right? Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. If you get distracted, it's okay. If you, have to, if, you, if you have to stop after three minutes, it's okay. I don't have one hitting session coaching six-year-old kids, and they get out there, and they start hitting like Shohei Otani the first 
thing. No, it's not what happens. It takes years and years and years and years to learn. Practice, 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 practice. Same thing with doing these kinds of things. If we're going to be single-minded and set our focus on God, we have to practice. So it's okay to get distracted. Try it again the next day. Try it again the next day. And I almost guarantee you, you'll get better and you'll get stronger at doing this. We need to focus more on Mary. We need to be Marys in the church. The world needs more Marys, less Martha. Even though Martha was, was doing some good things, she was distracted from the main thing. We need to be Mary. We need to come and sit at Jesus' feet, just being and not doing, just being with him, spending time with him. I think the more we do that, the more we practice this, it will feed out, and the fruit of it will be us being able to stop anxiety before it gets a hold of us and takes us into one of these areas. Let's pray. Father, once again, I, I love your word. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that when we're talking about something like anxiety, we don't have to stand up here and go, some, go somewhere outside the scriptures for our, our, our main points here that we can look at your word. We can look at Jesus. We can look at Paul and how they addressed anxiety and used the word anxiety that helps us understand what anxiety actually is and how we, um, how we fight it, how we approach it. So help us. Help us as we leave this week um, to apply your word, to be a people where we're building good habits, good practices into our life, to be able to create the foundation, to be able to withstand just everyday anxiety that we all face. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.